Welcome to church. It's so good to be with you. Uh, this is week three of a message series that we're calling The Missing Piece. I think for a lot of us, if we're going to be honest with each other, uh, we're living in a pretty chaotic world in chaotic times. We have... Uh, be, we are constantly, daily, being bombarded with information, with marketing, trying to grab our attention and pull us away from the very thing that I believe we need the most, which is peace. And the only place to get that peace is from the person of peace, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ himself. And, and that, I believe, is the challenge for a lot of us. We, we're living in such a fast-paced, busy culture. We're so distracted that what we need the most oftentimes is the thing that we neglect the most. And so today, I want to talk to you about getting back to that place of prayer, that place where we connect in intimacy to God and we allow him to give us his peace and exchange our problems, our anxiety, our fear, uh, our restlessness, and receive the peace of God. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to um, take a look at the same passage that I shared with you last time that I spoke a couple of weeks ago. And um, we're going to read this passage again because I believe that this is kind of a part two from the last time I preached to you. How many of you got something out of that message? Hopefully, peace in the middle of the storm. Um, because oftentimes it's our thoughts that distract us or pull us out of that place of peace. But not only do we face external distractions in our life that want to pull us out of the place of peace, but oftentimes, even more so, it's the internal distractions, the things that are going on on the inside of us, in our soul, in our thoughts, that are pulling us away from the place of peace. So we're going to go back, and we're going to read this passage of Scripture again, um, and I believe that God is going to speak to some of you. How many of you believe that today? I hope that every time that you come to church, every time that uh, you read the Word of God, that you don't just uh, go through the motions. You're not just your word. By the way, this isn't a church where we go through the motions, if you haven't figured that out by now. Uh, we press into the presence of God. In fact, uh, so much so that we started every second Tuesday of the month uh, what we call Pursue Night. And Pursue Night is a night where we gather together, we worship, we pray on the second Tuesday of every month. And we just had our Pursuit Night this past Tuesday night. And if you missed it, you just flat out missed out. Uh, what the Lord put on my heart to do on that night is to pray for healing. And we'd had a time of communion together, and it was amazing. God spoke. There was some words of knowledge. There was two people that got healed of back issues and pain and problems. There was somebody who got healed of arthritis sitting here today in, at church. And somebody who got healed since COVID, they lost their, their taste and smell like a lot of us, but God healed them in that moment. And he could immediately start smelling again. And so much so that the guy that was praying for him, he's like, man, I could smell your cologne, bro. It's a little strong. And so it was awesome. Immediate, like, hey, there's no doubt about it. You can smell. And uh, later he went out to eat and taste it for the first time in a long time. So uh, it's awesome. God is moving. How many of you know that when we choose to pursue God, that oftentimes the enemy of our soul is going to throw stuff at us? And even as we read this passage of scripture today, we're, we're going to read about the disciples actually doing something God told them to do. They were obeying God when Jesus told them to get in the boat and row across to the other side. And as they were doing that, a storm came up. And 
what we're going to read about is how that they were straining at the oars, it said, because the winds and the waves were against them. Many of you know that oftentimes that's the way it feels in life, doesn't it? Like the harder you try, the more stuff comes against you. And even as we're in the middle of this message series, we could be pressing into God for our peace and the enemy can just continually throw stuff at us. The winds and waves of uh, problems and pressures and circumstances. And I can tell you for me personally, that uh, as me and the team got back from going to an amazing conference um, last week at MFI in uh, Manor House Church, that this week has been really rough. And I can tell you that I've, I've felt the winds and the waves coming against me. And I've had to try to press in to Jesus in that place so that I can receive some peace from him. All right, we're going to read Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Or if you can, um, if not, you can follow along on the screens. The title of this passage is Jesus Walks on the Water. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd, while he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. If you have a Bible, if you read in the Bible app, you want to highlight or underline that verse, we're going we're gonna to dive into verse 23 a little bit. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out for fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God, truly. You are the Son of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Your word has power. It has power to change us, to transform us, to make us more into your son, Jesus. God, I believe your word today has the power to bring us peace. God, I pray for every single person listening right now. I pray for everyone present here. Pray for those who are watching online, our church in Eureka. God, that you would open our hearts to receive exactly what you have for us today. And my prayer is that this wouldn't be just a good message, but it would be a life-changing word of God that has the power to let us walk out not the same that we came in. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Um, I want to just take a moment, if you've been around Hope Church for a little bit, uh, you know that I've just had a burden for our nation, and elections are quickly coming up here in November. And so I want to just take a moment in our service to pray together. I think there's power in corporate prayer. I think it's something that's lost in modern day American church that oftentimes, you know, pastors pray, but the church doesn't pray together. And so I want to ask you to just take a, a minute to pray with me and let's intercede for our nation. Can we do that?
Okay, Father, we thank you that we have the privilege to live in this great nation, the United States of America. God, forgive us for taking that for granted and for, forgive us for taking for granted our rights to not just pray, but to get out and to vote and to be active in this nation, to stand up for the things that we believe in, the things that are, are aligned with you and your word. God, I pray right now for those elections coming up, God, that you would elect those in office who know you, that hold fast to your principles and um, your character, God, and that will help turn this nation to be once again united, one nation under the authority of God. I pray, Father God, and ask that you forgive our nation. Forgive us. Forgive us the church, God, for um, really just going after other gods and not seeking you. Would you forgive us and would you heal our land? And God, would you bring revival once again to this nation, just like you did before. God, we sang this morning, you're the same God. You're the same God in the Sousa Street revival. You're the same God in the Toronto outpouring. God, you're the same God in Pensacola that poured out your spirit. You're the same God that started the Jesus movement. God, I pray that you would bring another revival to this nation once again. We're standing on your word and we're asking and seeking you and ask that you would hear from heaven and not only heal our land, but sweep across this great nation once again in power. Why not us? Why not now? Let it begin right here with us in this valley in Jesus' mighty name. And every say, everyone said, amen. amen, amen, amen. The title of my message to you this morning is The Quiet Place. The Quiet Place. One of the things as I was uh, reading this that, that stuck out to me and it, and it really impacted the disciples. Now, if you, re you remember what a disciple really is. A disciple is somebody that would apprentice under a teacher. And Jesus, uh, gathering his disciples, actually calling them out. He called them, he, he sought them out, just like Jesus sought you out. Like, it's not by chance you're here today. Like, God's got you here for a reason. You might have thought, you know, you just plan to come to church today and show up at the 11 o'clock service, but I can guarantee you this, that God had a plan and purpose for you being here. And one of those plans and purposes is that he's continually inviting us into what he's doing. Um, and, and he's demonstrating for us how to live in the peace of God, in the life of God, in the love of God. And so he was continually showing the disciples, rebuking them, which is a, a nice correction, you know? Like um, when my wife yells at me, I said, is that, is that a rebuke? No, this is just a nice correction. This is the gentle, it's because I love you, you know? As I'm trying to help you. And that really, that's the heart of it, you know? And so when Jesus, even rebuking Peter, you know, I love that first, he doesn't rebuke Peter. Oh man, where's your faith, dude? Come on. No, he first puts out his hand and he catches Peter and he pulls him up and then he lovingly corrects him. Where's your faith? Come on, you were almost there. You were so close. And I wonder how many of us sometimes we're so close to breakthrough. We're so close to seeing God move in power in our life. We're so, so close to having God break through in our fear and our anxiety or in our worry and lead us into a place for peace and we get distracted. We get distracted from keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, this good work that he began in you and me, it, it wasn't originated with us. 
It originated from God and continues to find its place in God. And God wants to continually lead us into that faith, the place, that place of faith. But the disciples, they're freaked out, they're scared, they're tired. They've been rowing against the wind and the waves. And it, by this time, I think they were done. Most scholars believe they were rowing for about four hours. They, they had rowed three or four miles and didn't get anywhere. That's frustrating. For a lot of us, sometimes we get into places in life where we feel like, man, I'm, I'm trying to, to read my Bible more. I'm trying to pray more. I'm trying to seek God. I'm trying to get to church more. It just seems like every time I'm trying to like, pursue God more, I get these setbacks. And they just keep knocking me back and knocking me away from that place of just being able to focus on Jesus and stay in that place with him. But one of the things I think that impacted the disciples the most, I know this because there's several accounts in the gospel stories. The gospels, you know, there are four eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And so we just read Matthew's account. But you go back and you look at Mark's account in Mark chapter six, and you go and you look at um, John's account of this same story. And even earlier, there's a similar situation where the disciples are in the middle of a lake and they encounter a storm and Jesus is actually sleeping in the boat in the middle of the storm while they're freaking out. He just seems to be so at peace. I don't know about you, but I'd be a little bit annoyed, you know, and I think they were too. Like, come on, Jesus, like, really? Like, we're in the middle of the storm and you're sleeping? Like, don't, they even said this, don't you care? And oftentimes, that's the way it could feel like, God, where are you? Where are you in the middle of my pain? Where are you in the middle of my problems? Where are you in the middle of my fear, my anxiety, my sleeplessness, my restlessness? And in the middle of this storm, Jesus just walks on by. <laughs> just a little stroll. He doesn't come to them. He walks by them. And he waits for an invitation to enter in to their fear. And I believe this is where it begins, where we begin the journey to find our missing peace. And so here's my first point for you, is we don't get peace in the middle of the storm. We get peace in the quiet place with God. I'm gonna say that again, and this might mess with you a little bit, but I'm gonna unpack it for you. So just hold on, give me a hot minute. We don't get peace in the middle of the storm. We get peace in the quiet place with God. You see, we don't get peace in the middle of the storm. Storms reveal our depth of peace. And so when we're in the middle of going through something in our life, what it does, God uses the things that we're facing. And, and some of you right now, you're going through some real things. And when we go through things in life, what it does, the storms of life, if you will, what it does is it, it reveals our depth of peace or our shallowness of peace. Now, Jesus, he seemed to have all kinds of peace, enough peace that he had enough for himself and he had enough to give away. In fact, as followers of Jesus, that's the place that Jesus wants you and me to be at, is that we have so much peace, we're full of peace, that those around us say, how you know, I know your marriage is like, you're kind of going through something. I know you're on the edge of bankruptcy. I know you're, you're struggling with your kids and, and I, I know there's stuff going on in your life. How come you got so much peace? And we give an opportunity to tell them why. In fact, I was listening to um, uh, John Maxwell. That's one of the things that, that he says to people. 
when uh, they're going through some stuff, they're like, he, he just looks at them and he says this. I love this. He says, man, I wish you had my peace. And they're like, well, why, why do you have so much peace? And it gives them an open door to be able to share the peace of Jesus with them. But if we're going to be honest, most of us don't, we barely have enough peace to make it through the week, make it through the day. And yet Jesus seemed to be just so full of peace that no storm, he was able to walk on the winds and the waves and not be affected by them. Where does he get that kind of peace? You don't get it in the middle of the storm. You get it in the quiet place with God. You call, cry out for Jesus in the middle of the storm. And it, that's where a lot of us find ourselves in our spiritual lives is we allow ourselves to get so uh, depleted of peace that when we get into places where we need it the most, we don't have a deep enough well of peace to draw from, so we have to cry out for Jesus to rescue us. And in his grace and in his mercy, just like he did to Peter, he pulls us out of the depths of our despair and out of our anxiety, out of our fear, out of our worry, and he pulls us into his peace with him. Look, I love how he pulls up Peter he gently rebukes him, and then he walks him back on top of the water into the boat. And the Bible says that as soon as he entered in, the wind and the waves died down. So where did Jesus get this peace? Well, in the beginning of Matthew 14, verse 23, it gives us some insight. It says this, after he had, meaning Jesus, dismissed them. Now, he had just done one of the greatest miracles. He provided uh, bread and fish, multiplied it for 5,000 people took a couple of loaves of bread, a couple of fish, multiplied it. Unbelievable miracle. And right after that, the crowd started, the crowd started gathering around him and they wanted to make him king. But he knew that wasn't what God had for him because God had spoken a word to him about his destiny in the quiet place. But yet the crowd, just like the crowd of noise and the crowd of, of thoughts that are go always going to try to pull you, the crowd of culture is always going to try to pull you away from the things, the purposes and plans that God has for you and pull you into its wind of culture and its wind of doctrine and pull you out of the word of God. But it said after he dismissed the crowd, sometimes the greatest way to get peace into your life is just dismiss the crowd. You just got to get in a quiet place. You got to just say, hey, phone, hey, Siri, I don't need you. Girlfriend, I'm putting you on do not disturb. Do you guys know one of the greatest things that Apple did? Now, if you got a Samsung, I'm sorry, that's Satan. But uh, if you have an Apple device, there's this awesome little thing that you can do. You can actually pull it down and, and you can put it, see this thing? It says focus. And you can click that and I could put it on do not disturb and I don't get bizzed, buzzed, rang, popped, vibrated. I don't get any of that stuff. It just goes quiet. And there's something just so nice about taking the crowd of this that it's trying to pull you away and distract you from the presence of God and getting into a quiet place and to find peace in the place of prayer. This is Jesus, after he dismissed the crowd, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray later that night and he was there alone in silence and in solitude and I love that he went to a mountainside how many of you know that oftentimes when we are going through things in life the valley that 
you've heard the term, all I could see is the trees in the middle of the forest. That oftentimes when we're going through something in our life, all we see are the problems in front of us. And when we, all we see is the problems in front of us, it pulls us out of that place of peace and it distracts us from the very presence of God and it, and it allows us to get pulled in to the winds of our thoughts and, and, and the internal noise and the external noise crowd out the very voice of God. And so Jesus, it says, went up to a mountainside. It reminds me of in Isaiah when um, the prophet said this. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. And, and what he's doing is he's reminding us that we're, when we're in a valley and we're living in the earth, that our perspective sometimes, we don't see things clearly. We don't think clearly, but when we go up to a mountainside, when we get up to a high place, and let me tell you, you know how you get up to a mountainside? You know how you get up to a higher place? Because when you're in a higher place, you see things the way that God sees things. You stop seeing them on an earthly plane. God says, come up, come up here, come up a little higher. And I will show you things and speak to you things in Revelation, he says this, that you need to see and that you need to hear. But you can't see them and hear them in the valley of noise. You gotta get out of the crowd and get out of your circumstances and intentionally get up to a higher place. You know how you get up to a higher place? You get down on your knees. When you get down on your knees, God lifts up your perspective and he gives you his thoughts, he gives you his words, and it changes the way we see things. It may not pull you out of the valley and the problems, that's what we want. Just like, hit the eject button, get me out of here, God, no. But what he does do is he gives us his word. He gives us his peace. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And so when we pray, when we find that place, just like Jesus did, he went up to a mountainside and he was alone and he prayed. While the disciples, now I thought this, yeah, that's kind of selfish of Jesus, isn't it? He's up on the mountain praying and we're out here in the middle of the storm rowing. And sometimes we, we, we can posture ourselves that way. God, do you see me? Like, do you see what's going on in my life right now? Where are you? But Jesus understood something that the disciples had to understand that we don't get peace in the middle of the storm. We get peace in the quiet place with God. Jesus found his strength. He found his peace. And he got more than enough that he needed. He was so full of peace that he had enough peace to give to the disciples. He had enough peace that when he climbed into the boat, his person of peace, the prince of peace, climbed into the boat, immediately the winds died down. He came, so here's the, here's the principle you have to get. When you invite Jesus into your problems through prayer, Jesus comes into your problems with power. When you invite Jesus into your problems through prayer, Jesus comes into your problems with power and he brings peace. But look, the disciples had to invite him into the boat. See, sometimes Jesus will just tease you with his presence to just whet our appetite for more. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And when we taste and see that he's good, it makes me want more. It makes me want to be with him more. 
But even there's a principle in here that, that we have to get that the, he was trying to teach the disciples that you need to have a habit built into your life of going to the quiet place, to the place of prayer. Look, it started. Now, watch when Jesus, it's important that you get this. The genesis of how something begins is always an important principle that we can learn biblically through it. Now watch, when Jesus was launched into his public ministry in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, watch this. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, you know, he came to John the Baptist, he's being baptized, and he's about to launch his public ministry. He's going public with this. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, aligning on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Now look, the word of the Lord came to him and spoke identity over, you're my son. Number two, he needed to know that you're loved. He's, he's going to go into ministry from a place of identity, who he is. And number two, from a foundation of being loved. This is what every single believer has to have this foundation. If you don't have this foundation, man, that you're gonna struggle in the area of peace. And God speaks to him, his identity, that he is loved. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And he is pleased with him, check this out, not because he healed people, not because he did miracles, but just because he was his son. At this point, Jesus had done absolutely nothing. Nothing that would warrant the Father's pleasure. And yet, for a lot of us, we are striving to try to please God. And you have to understand that God was already pleased with you because of his son Jesus and what he did on the cross. We're not working for God's favor and pleasure. We're, we're, we are resting from a place of God's pleasure because we are his sons and we are his daughters. And so God speaks identity. He speaks his word to him and his word brings him life. It brings him identity. It brings him his love and it tells him that he is well pleased with him. And so now this has always tripped me up. Right after this, you're like, okay, this is it. Jesus is going to start. He's going to go out and do miracles. He's going to perform power. It's going to be amazing. The very next verse, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, goes to chapter 4. It says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, testing what the Word of God that just came to him, testing the word of God over his life. If you are the son of God, perform. You need to do something to prove it. Now God said, I'm already pleased with you. You don't have to do anything to prove it. But the enemy wants us to try to do the tap dance, perform, try to be something that you're not. And so he said, tell these stones to become bread. Provide for yourself. Be your own God. You don't need to follow God. You don't need his word in your life. And look what Jesus answers him. He says in verse four, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every, what? Word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus was making an important distinguishment that you and I need to understand. That when we read or hear a word of God in the quiet place, when God speaks to you, speaks to your soul, and he could speak to you through the the, the logos, the written word, or he could speak to you a rhema word, which is a, a spoken word to your spirit. It's a now word. That whenever God speaks, just like bread 
for somebody who's hungry and is weakened because they haven't had food for 40 days and 40 nights. The word of God brings nourishment to your spirit and to your soul and is the very strength that you need to stand on when you get in the middle of the, uh, the storm. This is why Jesus, when they came to him and they said, hey, when he was sitting by the well, in the story of the woman of the well, and, and he, they knew we had journeyed a long time, they hadn't eaten anything, and he looked refreshed and they're like, hey, did you get something to eat? He's like, I have food that you know nothing about that sustains me. He had the word of God that was sustaining him. He had the word of God that was bringing him peace. He had the word of God that was giving him strength. And for too many of us, we don't get into the quiet place and we never get into the place of prayer where we actually hear God speak a rhema word to us. But Jesus knew the secret of the quiet place. And I believe this is the missing piece to our missing piece. That that word, now, it always messed me up how the Spirit led him into the wilderness. I'm thinking, that's kind of mean. Like, come on, Holy Spirit. Like, why did you like, I mean, he just had his coming out party, and now you lead him into the desert where he doesn't get to eat for 40 days, and he's weak, and then he gets kind of like, you know, beat around. The devil's trying to beat him up and, and steal his thunder. Like, why would the Holy Spirit lead him into that place? See, I've always thought of the wilderness as a place of weakness, until I looked up the word wilderness. And the original word wilderness in the Greek is the word eremos. The word actually means, yes, desert, but it also means deserted place. Another translation, desolate place. Another one, solitary place. Another one, lonely place. Another one, yeah, wilderness, but here it is. Or quiet. I believe the Spirit led him for 40 days of prayer and fasting into a quiet place, not to weaken him, but to strengthen him. Because he knew that he was going to need the strength of the Word of God and the peace of God to sustain the temptation that was coming after him to rob, steal, and destroy his identity as the Son of God and destroy his purpose on the earth. And I believe that same enemy wants to come after you and me and the greatest weapon that he uses to come after you and me is distraction. To pull you away from his presence. To pull you away to keep you just busy enough. I think it's interesting that in my life, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but in my life, the busier I tend to get, the more I tend to put off my quiet time with God. Like I have stuff I gotta do and my to-do list gets bigger and instead of taking more time in the quiet place and with God, I end up trying to do to try to catch up and I, and I say, God, I'll, I'll make it up to you later or, or I'll do it tonight and then I get home and I'm exhausted from the day and I lay my head down on the pillow and I fall asleep and I get up and the rat race happens all over again. My, my phone is buzzing at me. It's beeping at me. I got text messages. I got emails. Social media feeds are hitting me up and all the thoughts start running through my mind. Distraction, 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 all trying to pull me and you away from the quiet place, the place of prayer. Look at Luke 5.15. If you don't believe me, 
This is when Jesus was at the height of his ministry. He was healing people, miracles, teaching people were blown away. Now he's becoming a, like, like a, a religious rock star, if you will. No joke, crowds started following him everywhere he could. He couldn't even get a moment alone. And it says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus did what? He, he leaned into the crowd? He ministered all to the crowd? No, it says that he actually withdrew and went to lonely places and prayed. The word lonely places, guess what? It's that same word, the aremos. It's the quiet place. The more busy Jesus was, the more pressure he was under, the more stress and anxiety that tried to come against him, the more he withdrew and went to the quiet place for prayer. The more he went to the place where he drew on the very presence of God, the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God filled him with peace, filled him with wisdom. When Jesus was trying to pick the, the disciples, that like he would ask him to follow him. He didn't try to figure it out and be like, you know, he looks pretty good. Uh, he's got nice Nikes on. I think he'd be a good fit. And uh, that one went to Harvard. And um, you're really good on social media. We need that. So uh, you're on the team. No, he didn't do what looked good in his own eyes. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. We need to get God's perspective, and Jesus understood that. And let me tell you, if Jesus understood it, how much more do we need to get it? That our whole spiritual life gets fed in the quiet place. There's supernatural encounters with God that happen in the quiet place. I'm reminded um, of jacked up Jacob in the Old Testament in Genesis. When he was in the desert, he was in a quiet place and he laid down his head. He was running from his problems and he didn't have answers and he laid his head down on a rock, it says, and he has a dream and in the dream, he sees uh, heaven open and angels ascending and descending to the very throne of God. And he wakes up from the dream, freaked out like most of us would, and he says this. He said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware. How many of us are missing things in our life we're not even aware because we're not even present? We're so distracted. I mean, I was, I was at a restaurant the other night with my wife, and my mom, and I just, I was eating, and I had one of those moments where I'm just looking around the restaurant. I kid you not, every single person I looked at, they're eating, there's people with them, mind you. This is madness, people. Like, we need to stop and think how culture is pulling us and get, grabbing our attention. In fact, if you do research, um, social media inventors, like people that invented TikTok and uh, reels, all these things. Now, I'm not a social media hater. I, I, I use it to a certain degree. I, I'm not on it very much. You probably notice that. Sometimes I feel guilty about that as a pastor because, you know, I, that's what pastors do. You get on social media. You do. But quite honestly, it pulls me away and grabs my attention. So I don't go on it very much because I've learned that. But there are inventors of, of things like TikTok that have scientifically figured out ways to get our children addicted at a young age. And they, they have trained their minds to where teachers can't even keep kids' attention 
in class anymore because they're so used to quick images flashing through their minds that, that, that they, they, they got like ADD. Like you can't just sit anymore. Can we just like be people that actually just sit and are present and have a conversation without having a phone or something we've got to check? I've got to check my own self because my natural tendency is when I'm bored, like, you know, when you're waiting at DMV for 50 more tickets before they pull your number. And instead of taking that time to maybe just take a moment and pray, be aware of the people that are around me. Maybe there's somebody around me that needs some peace. And I've got peace. And I could miss it because I'm just completely oblivious and not present with the people around me. And sometimes with the people that matter most. I want to give you a few statistics that might blow you away. Philip Zimbardo's, he, uh, he wrote a book called The Demise of Guys. The tagline is the crisis of masculinity in Western culture. He concluded that the average guy spends 10,000 hours playing video games by the age 21. Now, I'm not against video games. Man, it's cool. Play them, have fun. But that's a lot of hours, 10,000 hours. There was a book written by Malcolm Gladwell in one of the chapters. um, It's called The Tipping Point. And one of the chapters is called 10,000 Hours. And he talks about how research has shown that if you give your attention and study and practice something for 10,000 hours, you become a master at it at around 10,000 hours. So here's your choice. You could beat level five of Call of Duty, or you could read through the Bible seven times in 10,000 hours. You could become a, a student, an expert. You could get a degree in something, or you could be a master of Facebook. You could be, uh, you know, I don't know, social media personality, if you will. There are things like that. My daughter was telling me you could actually go to school now to learn how to be a social media personality and get a degree in it. I'm like, oh, my Lord, what is the world coming to? Jesus must be coming back. (laughs) Can you guess how much time the average American spends on social media each year? The number is 705 hours. TV, 2,737.5 the average person spends about three hours on their phones a day. We touch our, touch our phones roughly 2,600 times in one day. If you just eliminated some of this out of our life and took one hour before bedtime to read the Bible, you could read through the entire Bible in six months. Can I tell you something? You're as close to God right now as you want to be. Don't wait to New Year's to say, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to spend more time with God when we are missing out on the very things that God has for us in the present, in the here and now, because we're so distracted. So here's my second thing I have for you. If you want to live in peace, make prayer your first priority, not your last response. If you want to live in, to abide in, Jesus says, abide in me. We've lost the art of abiding. And Paul said, I pray continuously. Yes, it's good to have a quiet place. So what does the quiet place even look like, Pastor Lance? I'm not sure what you're talking about. The quiet place is simply find your place to get alone with God. 
to shut out the noise and the crowds of this world, to, to take your phone, put it on do not disturb, put it out there and say for 15 minutes, I'm going to, I'm going to just sit in the very presence of God. I remember, um, I had coffee with this man one time and he was different. Like, I'm like, what's going on in your life, bro? It seems like you, you got a lot of peace. You're, you're joyful. You just seem different. And he said, I am. He said, I went on this men's retreat and I was so stirred of what God spoke to me. I wanted more of that. And so what I started doing is I started getting up before dawn and there's this little creek in my backyard and I take a plastic chair and I put it in the middle of the creek and I just sit in the middle of the creek in the dark and I, and I pray. And I ask God to speak to me. And he starts speaking to me about my business he starts speaking to me about how to be a better husband. He starts speaking to me about how to be a better father to my kids. And it's transforming my relationships. Let me tell you something. You can't live off secondhand spirituality. And too many of us like secondhand smoke. We're inhaling what somebody else breathes out. I can't give you my anointing because the anointing only comes out of the quiet place. You got to find it for yourself. I could preach to you to the word of God, but you, you got to get the word of the Lord for yourself. You can't have, too many of us, we've learned to have secondhand spirituality where Stephen Furtick's my pastor because I watched a five-minute reel of him preaching. That's pathetic. That's secondhand spirituality. You're never called to have secondhand spirituality. You're called to get in the quiet place with God. Find your place. That, that may look different for you than it is for me. I remember, how many of you remember the, the movie called The War Room? It's an amazing Christian movie that came out. It's about this couple uh, who are going through some challenges in their marriage and, and, and in the husband's business and, and just seemed like everything in their life was falling apart. And she had this mentor, spiritual mentor, and she challenged her. She said, are you, how much are you praying about this? Well, you know, I'm praying about it. But no, how much are you really praying about this? She admitted, I'm not. She said, you need to find your quiet place, your, your secret place. And so she went into her closet and she took out all her girl shoes, all the Dolce Gabbana and the Gucci, and she threw it in the back, cleaned out her closet, and she made her closet her quiet place, her place of prayer. And she would go in there and she, she didn't even know where to start. Just like a lot of us, this is the problem, that we don't even know where to start. And even when we do start, we, where our minds are going so much that they distract us with our thoughts that we can't even stay quiet and get in that place of prayer. And honestly, all place of prayer is, God, I don't even know. If you would just be honest, say, God, I don't even know how to do this. But I know I need more of you in my life and I want more of you in my life. I know I need more of your peace. And so here I am, God. There's something amazing that happens. Pastor David read that scripture to you in our ministry moment in Philippians chapter four, and Paul was in the middle of a prison. Talk about fear. Talk about anxiety. I mean, not knowing your future. He literally could have been taken out of the prison and beheaded at any moment. Done, game over. He had no idea. He's, he's in waist-deep sewage, hanging in chains, cold, tired, hungry, fearful, anxious. And in that place, he writes this beautiful letter to the Philippians. And he says, in Philippians 4, 6, he says, a command. Don't be anxious for anything. But in every situation, 
not just the hard ones, like I might die, or I've got cancer, God, or I don't know, something's going on in my body, my kid's strung out on drugs, my marriage is on the rocks, I'm about to lose my business, I'm, I'm about to go bankrupt. Not, not just in big time. See, that's the problem. Peter cried out to him because he needed him to, to rescue him in that moment. And too many of us, we don't make prayer our first priority. We make it our last response. It's like, God, I need a Hail Mary. I need you to bail me out. And we don't have peace to draw from, and because of it, we live shallow lives. We don't have any depth to our peace. I remember one Easter, um, really sweet girl, she gave me this, she comes up to me, it was about to be Easter, she gives me this uh, chocolate Easter bunny. And I, I'm, not, I'm a Reese's guy, but um, she gave me this chocolate bunny, and I'm like, I'm down, you know, thank you. And, um, and I was stoked, it looked like a good bunny. And I remember, you know, it was like Sunday afternoon, and I'm like, I could use me some chocolate and some coffee. And I remember trying, going to break a piece off and I went to break a piece off and the whole thing just collapsed in the middle because it was hollow. It wasn't a solid chocolate, it was hollow. And I was like, dang. But you know, I was like, I want some solid chocolate here. Give me some Godiva, give me some good stuff. And it was like waxing. I'm like, this is, this is you know, cheap, it's, it's hollow. I think that's the way our, our, our peace is oftentimes. When we're in the middle of, of going through something, you find that our peace is hollow. It's fragile. It's plastic. There's no depth to it. And Paul's reminding us, don't worry. It's a command. Don't worry about anything. But in every situation, with prayer and petition. Now, a petition is when I'm, I'm beseeching God about something. Like, God, I don't know what to do about one of my kids. I don't know what to do at work. I don't know what to do. I heard an amazing testimony after first service from an amazing man. At one time he was going to lose his business and he got into the quiet place with God and God gave him the exact strategy. He gave him wisdom. You know, there's a difference between intelligence and wisdom. You could be really smart, but if you try to figure out things in your own way, you're going to miss out on some of the most amazing things that God has for you in the place of prayer. So in the place of prayer, we have encounters with God. There's, there's what I would call sovereign suddenlies. When I get in that quiet place, I can tell you some of the most powerful moments in my walk with God over the years have been in the quiet place with him. Times when I needed a, I needed direction for my life. Every major decision that I've ever made for my life came out of the quiet place. It came out of that place of prayer where I'm face down on the floor, rug, snot, tears, and God shows up in the middle of it and suddenly gives me a word. Suddenly I feel the peace of God. Suddenly joy starts coming on me. I'm telling you, when you do it, some of you, God told me, if you'll just get in the quiet place, some of you been, feel like you're going through the motions of Christian life, that you don't really know God. God's going to restore the joy of your salvation to some of you. Some of you have got big decisions in front of you. If you'll get into the quiet place, God will give you wisdom in it. I'm telling you, if you get in the quiet place, that's where joy is found. Peace is found in the quiet place. Relational. Man, I'll tell you what. I'm a better husband and father when I spend enough time in the quiet place with God. In every situation, with prayer and petition. And here's the key, thanksgiving. Faith isn't thank you, God, because you healed me. It, thanksgiving isn't thank you, God, because I was able to pay my bills. 
Yeah, there's, that's a level of thanksgiving. But true faith, thanks God after we pray. What does the Bible say? When you pray, act and believe like you've already received the answer to your prayer. So thanksgiving comes, what Paul's talking about isn't after the fact, when you've received what you pray. No, now faith comes from hearing and hearing by the very word of God. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things unseen. So when I'm willing to give God my praise and thank him before I feel the peace or before I see breakthrough, then he comes in power. Prayer and petition and thanksgiving. Make your requests to God and here's what happens. Here's the great exchange. When you invite God into your problems, he says, that he will come and the peace of God, which transcends all our human understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So not only will God give you peace, he'll actually put a lockdown on your heart and on your mind from every attack of the enemy to try to steal, kill, and destroy your peace. This is why Jesus couldn't be pulled out of his peace. Because his peace was guarding, God's peace was guarding his heart and mind. Why? Because he got it in the quiet place. I like what Corey Ten Boom says. She says this, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? If we're going to be honest with each other, it's our spare tire most of the time. But when you allow your quiet time place with God to be the guiding force in your life. God shows up and does some amazing things in your life, I'm telling you. Man does not live by bread alone. You don't live in the physical things that we think we need, but every word that comes out of the very mouth of God. Here's my next thing, and we're almost done. If the devil can't destroy you with sin, he'll distract you from prayer. If he can't destroy you with sin, he knows all I got to do is distract you enough to pull you out of that place of prayer. Because here's, here's the cycle. You remember John 10, 10. Jesus gives us a promise. He says this. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He says, the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So if he can't destroy you by getting you to sin, he knows if he could just destroy distract you. In other words, if he could steal your attention away from God, that it will kill your spiritual life. And if he could kill your spiritual life, he will destroy you through sin. Because when you are weak in your spiritual life, the tempter, when the tempter comes and you got nothing to stand on in that moment, like Jesus had, because he was with God for 40 days. That was his strength in the quiet place, their strength. Those who wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their what? Their strength. And they will rise up on wings of eagles. They will not grow weary. They will not grow faint. But they will run. First Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. It takes self-discipline. I ain't gonna lie to you. It's gonna take some self-discipline to create a habit like Jesus did in, in his life of prayer, of going to the quiet place. So some of you, maybe you need to start 15 minutes. You get up 15 minutes early, you spend time, you find that quiet place, where that might be for you. I don't know, but I know this, you need to find it. 
Some of us, it's a half hour. Some of us, it's an hour. Some of us on your lunch break. But you need to find it. Otherwise, you lose your balance. He says, be sober, well-balanced, be alert and cautious at all times. Why? Because that enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Check this out. The enemy of your soul, the way he distracts you, is he tries to roar louder than the voice of God. He's going to try to drown out the voice of God by pulling you away from God's presence and letting the voice of the world be stronger than the voice of God. Look at Peter was on his way. He was there. He was walking in faith. He was walking on the very word of God, putting his faith and trust in Jesus. And what messed him up? What began to make him sink? It says, when he saw the wind. I don't know about you, but I've never seen wind. I don't, you don't see wind. He just was distracted by the feeling of wind. And too many of us get distracted by the enemy and it's causing us to sink into worry, despair, anxiety, fear. In uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, it's an it's a allegory about two demons screw tape and I forget the other wormwood and um, this is a quote from screw tape the devil hates silence and so screw tape being the head demon says this he said the devil's realm is a kingdom of noise listen to what he says we will make the whole universe a noise in the end the melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end you see, the enemy wants to drown out the voice of God with the noise of the world. If he can't do it with your thoughts, he'll do it with distraction. So here's my last point. We silence the voice of worry with the still small voice of the Lord. Do you know what the word worry and anxiety, those two words are interchangeable in the New Testament. And there's a Greek word for it. And and the word is merimineo, but it actually comes from the root word merizo. And you know what that word means? It means to distract, to divide, to draw in different directions. You ever heard the term, I'm worried to pieces? This is exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you so torn into pieces that you're so fractured that your heart is divided. That's why James said, you don't be a double-minded man or woman. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous spiritual place to be when, when the enemy distracts you, divides up your thoughts, tears your peace into pieces. But when we invite Jesus in, he picks up all the pieces gives us back our peace. He did that for the great prophet Elijah. In a moment in Elijah's life when he was really wrestling, he wanted to die. He was wrestling with fear. He had a threat against his life by Jezebel that she was coming to take his life. And in that moment, he ran from God. And he said, I just want to die. I wish I was never born. And in that moment, God sent an angel to him and baked bread over coals and fed him and said, get up and eat for the journey's too much for you. 
And I think that represents the word of God, how the word of God, it, it gives us enough strength. But that gets him to this place, to the Mount Horeb, where he climbs a mountain and he sees a cave and he goes into this cave and it's dark in there. And he's just sitting in the dark in a cave. But it's not a quiet place. It's a distracted place. It's a place where he escaped to, to get away from the reality of his life and his fears. But the problem of being in a cave is words echo in a cave. And all the thoughts and fears were circling around in his head and God shows up in that moment, just like I believe God is showing up for some of you in this moment right now. And he says something profound. He says, Elisha, what are you doing here? Elijah's sitting in that dark cave. God calls him again, Elijah, what are you doing here? And when Elijah heard it, it says in 1 Kings 19, 13, he pulled this cloak over his head, his face, and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave and a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then it says something really interesting. We expect God to show up in power and invade our situation. But it says that there was a violent wind, yet God wasn't in the wind. And then there was an earthquake, verse 20. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And then it said there was this fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And it says after it came the still small voice of the Lord. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And in that moment, I always wondered, what, what is that word, still small voice? You know that one of the Hebrew translations says that it was actually the sound of silence. That in that moment, he could hear God's voice and it was God's voice, his, his whisper. And I thought, why? God, why don't you speak louder than the enemy? When the enemy comes at me like a flood, why isn't your voice so much louder? Why does it have to be a whisper? And he says, because I'm close. I whisper because I'm right here. I'm as close as the air that you breathe and I'm speaking to you. You're gonna hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way you should go. So I want to ask some of you as we close, where are you? Where are you spiritually today? Are you in a place like Elijah in a dark cave, just feel like, God, where are you? I'm done. I'm tired of fighting. I'm ready to give up. Full of fear, full of worry, full of anxiety. I feel like my life is in pieces and I don't have any peace. And I believe as we get in the quiet place with God, he's gonna come and whisper 